Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 117 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, I don't know whether you struggle from disappointment, but I would say when I look back over two decades of leadership, I would have to say, God has been so faithful, and yet sometimes I feel like it's never enough. And if you've ever felt like in your life or in your leadership or in your church or business or whatever that it's just never enough, it's never good enough, you're going to love today's episode because my guest is somebody named Christine Hassler, and she is actually an internationally known speaker, writer, thinker, and she's going to talk to us about why highly driven people struggle so much with disappointment. I think you're going to find it to be fantastic. It's going to be a gift. And uh, I really enjoyed my conversation with her as well. Also, there's a fun moment. I mean, she's not specifically uh, part of a church right now, but this is really, really cool because I hope this will encourage you. Uh, Very spontaneously, she considers herself a very spiritual person, but we get into a conversation about when she was in college, she ended up going to this church. And obviously, when you hear that part of the interview, It's a very well-known church. I think most of you will know it. But it's really cool to see how, you know, ministries that we take for granted and that we appreciate and that we invest in end up really impacting people along the way. So that's a really cool part of the conversation. Hey, I want to let you know that I've been waiting for this day for a long time for a number of reasons. Number one, this is the week that finally, 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 my brand new resource, an online course called The High Impact Leader, is available to you. I know so many of you have said like, hey, when's it available? When's it available? And we've done a few beta versions. Man, this is it. So if you want to get your life and leadership back and you want to get better at managing your time, managing your energy and managing your priorities, that's why I put together the High Impact Leader course. Because if you're like most leaders, you're probably struggling to find time to get everything done. And the number one question I've gotten over the last few years is this, how do you get it all done? How do you like have a full-time job at your church and you speak and you write and you blog and you publish books? Like, how does that happen? And I got that enough that I actually started taking notes and uh, put it together in a 10-part video online course called The High Impact Leader. So if you go to thehighimpactleader.com, you'll find everything you want to know about the course. And you can actually register. In fact, if you register now, you are going to get the best rate for the course you will ever get. It's available right now. You can go to highimpactleader.com. And what I want to do is sort of walk you through. It'll take you about maybe three hours to do the entire program. And some of you, it might be a little bit longer because you're going to have to do some exercises to try to figure out okay, what am I most energized? What am I least energized? What am I best at? Who are the best people I can invest time in? But the goal of the course is to help you get your life and leadership back and get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor. So here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine that you head into 2017 and imagine that you actually have time off on a day off. Like, could you imagine? Imagine Wednesday rolls around for those of you who preach and like your message is done and maybe next week's message is done. Imagine that you get to the end of the day and your task list is actually completed as opposed to spilling into dinner or into the next day. That's what the High Impact Leader course is designed to do. And it's not just about your leadership, it's about your life, being a better dad, being fully present and everything like that. So I'd love for you to check it out. And if you want to get better and get your life and leadership back, Just go to thehighimpactleader.com. The course is available now for the best rate you're going to find it at. And uh, I'm just really excited to bring that to you. So wanted to let you know about that. Also really want to thank EA Help, who is a partner in this podcast. And uh, they got something real special for you in the month of December. Did you know uh, that they've got a free resource that you can download? Links are in the show notes, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 117, that will help you figure out what the best task management tools are. And this one's absolutely free. So this actually kind of dovetails with what I'm trying to do in the High Impact Leader, but you can just go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 117 because they are all about productivity and they want to help you get more productive. So make sure you check out those free resources available for you today. You can find that at kerryneuhoff.com. So excited for that. And uh, yeah, 
that's about it. And hey, just before we jump into the interview, I want to thank everybody for doing such a great job sharing this podcast. It has grown exponentially this fall. And thank you to all of you who are new listeners. Really appreciate it. Do you know if you subscribe, you get like free access to now 116 other interviews? That's right. It goes back. We talk with Ravi Zacharias, um, Brian Houston, Andy Stanley, uh, Louis Giglio, Kara Powell, and on and on and on. Some of the very, I hope, top leaders in the church and really in the world today that we just have conversations like this one with. So if you subscribe, you get all that for free. Plus, you're not going to miss some of the great and awesome stuff coming up. We've got Louis Giglio coming back on the podcast. I've got a fascinating conversation to kick off the new year with James Emery White about the generation after the millennials, which is going to be just fascinating. Also got a few other people you may recognize coming up in the next few months. We've got Mark Batterson coming back to the podcast. Uh, I've got some fascinating conversations, one with Greg McEwen, author of Essentialism, and much more. And again, if you subscribe, you get them every Tuesday for free. Finally, yesterday was episode two of the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. So if you're Canadian, go find my other podcast, the Canadian Church Leaders podcast. And if you're not, and you're just interested in ministry in a postmodern context, well, I think you'll find that one interesting as well. Anyway, a lot of stuff today, but hey, it's an exciting season. Really want you to get your hands on the High Impact Leader course, so you can go to kerryneuhoff.com or thehighimpactleader.com for information there. And now, here's my conversation with Christine Hassler. Christine, it's good to be hanging out today. Thanks for joining me. Oh, this is a great way to start my day. It's, it's uh, let's see, in the morning here in Los Angeles, just finished a great workout. And now I get to have an awesome conversation with you. Yeah, you just finished a great workout in the morning and I got in a pre-lunch bike ride. And uh, so we're both a little exhausted. So <laughs> no, I'm totally good. high. Like, oh, this you're is totally. To talk to me. My adrenaline and endorphins is still pumping. <laughs> well, good. That's great. Exercise is more of a discipline for me, but it was a beautiful oh. day. So time for a bike ride. So uh, do you know um, that the word discipline comes from the word disciple? You know what? That is so cool, isn't it? it yeah. It's really neat. And, and unfortunately, um, a lot of discipleship, or fortunately, is discipline. And uh, I don't know, do you consider yourself a naturally disciplined person? I think that, well, I've learned that, you know, I I kind of think of a disciple as a loving follower. So I've looked Mm. at everything that I've wanted to move towards because discipline, it always moves us towards our goals, you know, better health, more success, making more of a contribution, um, having a deeper spiritual practice. And so for me, I've always thought about, okay, what, what am I moving towards and what am I lovingly following? And I've noticed that if I do something for anywhere from like 35 to 50 days, usually the sweet spot is 40, isn't 40 days, and there are mm. studies that prove that, that the discipline actually becomes a habit. Right. So um, for me, it's, it's been sort of that initial momentum of getting started and, and doing it. But then once I get regular at it, it, it becomes a lot easier. Like I've written a blog and vlog now for 10 years and I haven't mm. missed a week. And it's just, it's become a habit. Same with starting a podcast, same with starting a meditation practice. So yes, there's that initial kind of resistance. But I think that for me, um, I'm, I'm a Virgo. Maybe that's part of it. Okay. I'm the oldest child. I mean, there are a lot of other factors that oh, may I have that. I'm the oldest child. <laughs> yep. Firstborn. Uh, good for you. I, I think my secret fear is I'm lazy. So I develop disciplines and they help. But yeah, weekly podcast, right? I, uh, I've been doing this for almost two years now, which is, awesome. uh, which is a lot of fun. And I love doing it. I'm so glad to have you as a guest. So you've got a fascinating story. Usually we talk to leaders in the church space. You're not specifically in the church space. You were raised in church, and we might talk about that a little bit, but actually was a, a very young Hollywood agent. I mean, how, how yes. old were you when you started? Because you left at 25 as a Hollywood uh, agent. Barely 21. Really? Now, how yep. does one even become a Hollywood agent? Like, how would you do that? It just sounds like a movie. <laughs> Blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's here's the backstory, okay? Um, what made me so successful, honestly, was a mix of, you know, I had natural gifts and a passion for the industry, but I also was desperately insecure mm. and really wanted to prove something. And for me, in my head, as a little kid, I thought Hollywood and being famous was, you know, one way to like prove to the world that I was worthy. I had a lot of bullying and teasing and and really Really? illness and 
abuse and like just things that happened to me in my younger years and how, and I talk about this in my last book, Expectation Hangover, whenever we feel less than in some way, like the, the ego finds a way to feel more than we, and I call this a compensatory strategy. And so my compensatory strategy was, well, if I'm not likable and something's wrong with me, then I'm just going to be successful and the smartest person. And so that really drove me and, and we can maybe bookmark the difference between motivation and drive and inspiration. So I had a lot of motivation and drive and that this prove it to me. And I was incredibly hard on myself. And the tricky thing about that is it works. It does create mm. results in the external world. And so I, I was super driven. I was willing to work incredibly long hours. Um, I was very competent and that straight A student. So when I went in, I got an assistant job right off the bat. I didn't even have to work in the mailroom, which most people that are on track to become agents do. I think it helped that I was it, a woman. They literally start in the mailroom. Seriously? Yeah. They literally start in the mailroom and you push <laughs> I that mail was a cliche. Literally. And you push mail carts around for like a year in a suit. <laughs> in a suit. Just, mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, okay. Keep going with your story. You've already said some stuff that I think is ringing a lot of bells with driven <laughs> leaders. We're all going, <clears throat> okay, I don't know whether I'm going to listen to the rest of this. Right, mm -hmm. right. I don't security know drives me to success. <laughs> what? You know, <clears throat> pardon? Okay. So finish your story. Then we'll go back yes. to some of the insights. Yes. And just a reminder, we're all human. We're all learning. We <laughs> yeah. all have these parts, right? Yeah. <laughs> So um, I, I worked my way up and I, I lived in, um, I, Carrie, I lived in when thens, you know, when I get promoted, then I'll be happy. Right. When this guy asks me out, then I'll feel confident. When I'll lose five pounds, then I'll accept my body, like whatever, whatever it was. And I kept, you know, I, I kept getting promoted. I worked for a little bit in development, like scripted development and TV. Mm -hmm. And then I got recruited to come back and I was at this big fancy firm and had the finally was promoted and had the office and had the, an assistant who was maybe like six months younger than me. Right. I still remember his name. His name is Jason. He was, he was so good to me. And I was sitting there in my fancy Hollywood office in my fancy suit, looking outside, hearing my assistant answer the phone saying Christy Nassler's office. Wow. And I was like, I'm, I still hate this. Like I'm still not happy, but I had been unhappy for a very long time. When mm. I was 10 years old, I was diagnosed with depression and put on antidepressants. Wow. So That's I was young. still, yeah, I was very young and I was still, I was still taking them at that time hmm. and anti-anxiety medicine. So I just, I kind of was a hot mess on the inside. <laughs> the, on the outside, I was great, but I, 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 it was like I was a duck on water, you know, looked smooth on the surface, but underneath it was just frenetic. So um, that's how I did it, and and I won't. Here's the thing: it wasn't all it wasn't all awful. There were amazing things. I got to do wonderful things that many people don't do, like the Oscars and Golden Globes, and hang out with celebrities and help make people's dreams come true. So it wow. wasn't all bad. It just wasn't. I knew in my heart it wasn't the path that I was supposed to be on, and I feel like all of us like feel a calling of some kind. And it doesn't have to be a career calling. It could be a calling to be a parent. Um, and, and until we sort of get on that path, there's a degree of unrest. And that's what I was feeling. But we have to kind of go through life a little bit. Some of us know where we just know right away and we're on that path since we were like three years old. But others of us like me, it's a process of elimination and a, and a series of expectation hangovers and really learning to have that discernment before we get on the path that's most aligned with our soul's calling. Hmm. That's a, that's a lot of self-knowledge at a very young age. And, you know, it's interesting because you, you hit on a lot of things in, in a very short window of time. Um, do you think a lot of driven people end up being driven because of an insecurity or uh, I don't know exactly how you would phrase it, but you know that feeling that I'm not enough, so I got to prove myself? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and I have to say, like, with so many people that I work with and come to my retreats, that's what they reveal. I was just, I just had um, a session with a woman that I'm working with, and she's incredibly incredibly successful, mm. like billions successful. Wow. And I remember, you know, after she got, had a big sale and when it came into all this money, she was more depressed than she ever had been. And mm. it was because it was like, oh, wow, like even billions of dollars <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't 
tend to that ache. And, 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 and for so many people, and I love that I can talk about this on your show, it's a spiritual ache. Yeah. It's that, it's that sense that something's missing because God isn't in our life and we don't feel that connection and we feel that sense of separation, which is the total human illusion, right? That we're, we're separate and not part of something. And, and it's the very thing that, you know, not only gets people on a, on a more purposeful path, but it gets them on their spiritual path as well. It is in those kind of darkest moments and in those expectation hangovers, as I call them, that often opens people's heart to God. And that was what it was for me. You know, that's, that's really when I started like looking deeper into, to my faith and like, maybe what I'm looking for isn't on the outside. Maybe it's Mm. really an inside job. And your roots spiritually are in the Roman Catholic church. Is that right? Correct. Both my parents were Catholic, raised in Catholic schools. Um, so CCD and first communion and, and all of that. And, um, and so I, I was lucky to grow up believing in God. I think mm. it's, it's often more challenging for people to find God when they didn't grow up believing it, right? Because right. The, the belief systems that are ingrained in us when we're children, that's when we're sponges and that's when so many seeds are planted. So I'm so, so, so grateful that I did at least grow up in some kind of a church with, with it, I never doubted that God existed. Okay. So you were, you were always somebody who believed in God. How did that journey unfold for you? Was there a time where you kind of drifted away or would you always consider yourself a spiritual person? I think there were times I drifted away. I think that um, God to me was more a mental concept and, right. and like, okay, God exists like a thought. It wasn't a deeper feeling. And I remember in college, um, I was going through some rough times and my aunt and uncle actually lived, I went to Northwestern and they lived in um, in a suburb of Chicago. And I f- believe the church was called Willow Creek. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. Lot, we're, a lot of us are familiar with Willow Creek. Oh, Absolutely. great. And some of the staff listen. It's an incredibly influential church. So tell me more about oh. Willow Creek. It's amazing. A couple years ago, I went to a leadership conference there. It was amazing. So they knew I was having a tough time and, and they, they had really found God and became Christians um, later in life. And they invited me to church and it was like, wow, this is not like the church I knew. It's like <laughs> super uplifting. And, and I would just go and and in the worship section with all the singing, which I'd never experienced really, I would just start sobbing because I, I could feel it. And that was sort of the beginning of, of feeling God in my life. And, mm. and my aunt and uncle and Willow Creek was, was great for that. But, but I graduated and then I moved out to L.A. and I kind of got caught up in the L.A. thing Church. and working. And I got in the Hollywood scene um, and it, it's a, it was a different kind of uh, energy, we could say. <laughs> right, right. And and so I, I I kind of got back to um you know see at the time my faith was still really new and I really still still kind of operated like I was driving the car of my life right that I was in hundred percent control that I needed to make it happen. Some of us are still learning not to be. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, get that. Yeah. Oh, and I'm still heck. I'm still alive, <laughs> so I'm still learning, right? But I was still um, very much thinking I had to control my life. And I don't think my faith had roots. Like I would, right. I would pray, but it was kind of like, okay, but I still need to go out and do it on my own. And it wasn't until um, – so I had the Hollywood thing and um, I ended up leaving my job because I, I really just didn't like it. And a variety of things at work happened that kind of pushed me out. And then in a period of six months – so I leave my career, which was my whole identity – I, um, got disowned by my parent. My most, I had an argument with my mother and we didn't really speak for eight months. We're great now, but, but that was really hard. Um, I got diagnosed with an undiagnosable autoimmune disorder. I was in thousands of dollars of debt because I tried to keep up my Hollywood life with no expense account or fancy salary. Mm -hmm. And then I was engaged in six months before my wedding, my fiance broke it off. Um, I didn't see it coming at all. Wow. in, in, I think, six to eight months, I lost career, health, family, money, love. And that was a very <laughs> bathroom floor moment, literally just no like laying, laying on my bathroom floor going, you know, do I really want to be here? And it was during that time that I felt God for the first time. Mm. It was in that total surrender on the floor 
didn't have anything left in me <laughs> that I had, I, I had kind of this feeling of love from the inside and wow. a feeling of being guided and a feeling of, um, you know, wow, like the common denominator in all these circumstances is me. And mm. I can either make that mean I'm a victim and life is hard, or I can make that mean this is happening for a reason. And the only way to really discover that reason is to keep moving forward. But my, my moving forward changed. I used to, again, think I was driving the car and had to create the path. And now, and again, this took some time. This wasn't overnight. Now how I move forward is I take a step and I really wait for God to reveal the next step, either in a person or a feeling or an opportunity or in a synchronicity, um, instead of thinking that I have to build all the steps myself. Hmm. That's interesting. How would you describe your sort of spiritual journey where it's at right now? And we'll, we'll jump back into the story and why you left Hollywood and being an agent. But I mean, would you consider yourself spiritual? Would you, would you, cons- I mean, labels, they, they can be uh, difficult or challenging at the time. But yeah. How, what would, how, what would you, where are you right now and all that? I would say I'm a very spiritual person who also, but I'm a spiritual person who uses the word God and Jesus and has a relationship with, with that. I think that a lot of kind of spiritual people may do a path of yoga or maybe really into energy. And I'm into all that too. And I really feel, um, I I use the word God and and have a relationship with that. And so I, I can walk into any church, any yoga room, any spiritual center, and I can find, I can find God. I can find God in anything, but I love going to honestly any kind of church because to me, just the vibration that's there and the people coming together to commune and to worship and to connect to something bigger than just ourselves is incredibly, not only inspiring, but to me, deeply healing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can certainly identify with that. What was your favorite part of being part of Willow Creek for those few years? Oh my gosh. The people, first of all, the people, um, I felt, I felt just a high level of acceptance. I love that it was, you know, I mean, it was in the suburbs of Chicago, so it was, you know, most uh, a white Mm -hmm. congregation, (laughs) but it wasn't only that, you know, I saw people, of different colors and races. I love that, you know, they had a ministry for people that were, um, in the gay community. It was just like such an accepting place to me. Mm. So I, I felt really just, uh, you know, my, my thing as a kid was not feeling like I belonged. And when I went there, I, I felt like I belonged. Hmm. I love that. You know what? And you got thousands of church leaders listening right now. And those are really good notes. I hope we're all taking notes because, you know, I'd say the vast majority of us who listen to this podcast, if we're involved in a local church, we hope that we're a hospitable home uh, to people who are raised in church and maybe stopped attending or people who never grew up in church. You know, we were talking about before we started recording, our vision is to be a church, an unchurched people love to attend. And it's just really good to hear your story, Christine, and really good to see that this is something that not only you came back to, but the spiritual journey is really core to who you are. Oh my gosh, it's core to who I am and it's super core to my work. Yeah. Even when I go in, because I have, you know, the personal transformation side where I can kind of do the more quote unquote woo woo stuff. Yeah. And then I have the the corporate side. And I know God puts me in places with quote unquote corporate audiences for a reason. And I'm in the bathroom praying before I go on stage and I drop little seeds and I may have to Trojan horse some of the concepts, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. but, but I, I love that, you know, God puts us where we need to be and we don't need to be shouting our belief system from the rooftops. My opinion is if we show up as who we are, if we show up in that love and in that light, people are going to feel that. Well, and you know, what's really interesting, and this is a challenge for a lot of church leaders is we never get in those rooms and you're in that room. And it's, you know, just a really good reminder uh, that those are great opportunities God uses too. So 
Tell us a little bit about the shift that happened when you were 25. So you end up in a place where you had all that loss in a season and you say, okay, this isn't what my life is about. And you reinvented yourself in your mid-20s. Mm-hmm. So what happened? I did. Yeah, the 25, the good old days. Now, I wish I could say that was just a few years ago, but that <laughs> <laughs> was a little over 10 years ago. So okay. let, me, let me go back. There's been a lot of other things since then. Um, but yes, I... I, I I actually think I rediscovered myself, mm-hmm. not reinvented myself. Um, okay. I, I remembered who I really was. You know, even as a little girl, uh, my favorite thing to play was teacher. Really? And I, oh, totally. I always loved playing teacher, 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 teacher. And teacher and bank. <laughs> bank. <laughs> so I, <laughs> but it was that entrepreneurial thing. I wanted to teach and I wanted to kind of be responsible for my own money and being an agent was sales. And I do not like sales. I couldn't sell ice to an Eskimo. I would just (laughs) give them the ice. (laughs) And I, I really, you know, freedom is a core value for me. Not that I can't be responsible or don't like commitments, but I, I'm much better as my own boss. Um, so the shift really was, um, coming more into remembrance of, of really who I was. And I was very lucky at the time when I was uh, about 23, I met a woman named Mona Miller and she was like coach therapist, but her consciousness, I I, I mean, she was so, so tapped in Mm. and someone recommended me to her. And I had been used to seeing psychotherapists and, and psychiatrists and she saw people in her house and I go to her house and it was so trapped in like 1989. I mean, tchotchke galore. Really? Every, yes. Every holiday, it was like the holiday exploded. You know, every corner was like a decoration. <laughs> and I think it was around Halloween and I walked in and I was like, oh my gosh, this is, am I in a haunted house? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> and she was very intuitive and she knew I was very in my head, very Virgo type A. And so instead of seeing me in her office, she took me to her son's room and had me sit in his race car bunk beds. And so I'm sitting there in these race car bunk beds going, what is going on? Feeling so uncomfortable. And she came in and she sat with me. And it was the first time I had felt so unconditionally loved by someone. So judgment-free. I mean, her blue eyes, the way they would look at me, I felt like I was in the presence of someone that was so pure Mm. and so loving. And I, she didn't look at me like I was broken and every other kind of like helper, you know, therapist up until that point, I I had experienced that feeling. And so she really was the first person to model that unconditional love and acceptance. So I kind of got on my, my self-help journal journey, my transformational journey. She was also deeply spiritual sort of before the quarter life crisis started to happen. So I had some seeds planted. And then when I had that bathroom floor moment, things started to shift. You know, I became a a consumer of personal growth. I saw her, I did something called landmark forum. I was exploring different churches. I was, I became a seeker and I started to write about my experience and talk to other people instead of pretending that I had everything figured out. And that really was the inspiration for my first book, 20 something, 20 everything. And that book interviewing people for it and writing it, people started saying, I want to talk to you again. You should be a coach. You should be a counselor. I went to Mona and she said, yep, that's your gift. You know, you're here to coach people and teach. And that's how it all started. It wasn't ever planned. I just kind of got out of my own way and started to heal myself and share that with others. Hmm. Fascinating. And you know what, what I think is, is so interesting about your story? It's not just your story, but there are, I mean, I'm sure as you see with your clients now, and, and you do a variety of things, uh, you have your own podcast, you speak, you consult, you do uh, therapy, and you even run retreats, right? But you're running into people who have run into the same things that you experienced. And our churches are filled with people who are asking exactly those questions. And not only our churches, but our communities. Yeah, I think that we all ask the questions, you know, who am I? What do I want? How do I get it? And then what's the impact I'm here to make? You know, what's my purpose? So what drove you there, or at least part of your story, and I mean, we started in the first few minutes hitting on that stuff, but this expectation hangover, 
Your mm. latest book is all about that. What is an expectation hangover? Because I think a lot of driven leaders listen to this and we probably are all familiar with that experience. Yes. So an expectation hangover is when one of three things happen. Either your desired result is not met, like you think you're going to be married by a certain age and you're not. Or you reach your desired result, but you don't feel like you thought you would. Like you get that great job thinking it's going to make you feel so confident and good about yourself and solve all your problems, but you still have that nagging feeling of stress or lack of fulfillment. Or life just throws you an unexpected curveball. Um, you get broken up with, you get diagnosed with an illness, or even even little things. Like two nights ago, Jill, who works with me, we were out at a movie and we came back and her laptop was stolen from the car. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's it, they can range in severity from, you know, a parking ticket or a laptop being stolen, which are manageable. Those things can be replaced to the the more kind of bathroom floor moments that really rock us to our core. So it can be little things as well. So for example, the pastor who worked really, really hard on his or her message and you think it's going to be a full house and you walk in on a Sunday morning and it's like, where are all the people? That can be an expectation hangover. Exactly. We are all familiar with that. Yes. And that's a hard one because it's hard not to take that personally, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like staff that doesn't work out or team that doesn't work out or just disappointment, really. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when you look at Christian leaders in the, in in the Christian church and you've seen it from the inside and, and from the outside, have you seen the expectation hangover at work among church leaders and, uh, and just leaders as a whole? Cause you do a lot of corporate stuff. Yes. I, well, first of all, I I've seen the expectation hangover as just a human condition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if you're human, this if you're human, happens. Yeah. yeah Cause it, it's yeah. basically disappointment and, you right. know, and I think that that's one of the things we all are learning. Control is one of the biggest addictions and, and biggest illusions. Yes, we have influence, uh, but do we have complete control? No. I think the one thing we do have control over is how we respond to situations, mm-hmm. how we respond to the expectation hangovers. And and one of my goals in life kind of as, as a teacher is to help people learn tools to leverage their expectation hangovers, to process them rather than numb them. Because what tends to happen is people get disappointed and something bad happens and they go into numbing strategies uh, or coping strategies that really are just band-aids. Like, you know, it can be something like eating or drinking too much, which eventually Mm -hmm. may develop into an addiction because you have to keep upping the ante to suppress the unprocessed feelings you're not dealing with. Or it can be something that looks good from the outside. Like I'm just going to work more. I'm going to dive into work or I'm going to like go and date someone I need to fix or get too involved in my children's life or whatever. There's, there's a lot, or I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be strong and pretend like nothing's wrong and put on my, you know, game face and, and just look for that silver lining and not really kind of deal with it. I, I call that the spiritual bypass. So in my, in my work and in my life, I'm, I am here on a mission to really give people the tools that I know work to really heal your expectation hangovers because basically any expectation hangover triggers kind of unresolved stuff. And we need, we're humans and we have an emotional, mental, behavioral, and spiritual life. And we need that holistic approach to heal and to grow. Otherwise, what ends up happening is the same expectation hangover over and over again. Someone who keeps getting laid off. Someone who ends up dating the same person over and over again with a different face. You're now in your fifth church and it's no different than your first, second, third, or fourth. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you you show up and every week it's not the congregation you want or you keep having the same trouble with people that work with you or what, you know, there's, or you feel blocked even uh-huh. in, in being able to, to create the church, create the sermon. So it's, it's, if, if some kind of disappointment is repeating, then that's an indicator that there's something underneath that to explore. You're reading a lot of people's mail and you said something really interesting. You said, you know, I call that the spiritual bypass. So, you know, most of the people, and and if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you're a regular listener. So glad you're listening in. But a lot of us do. We would say we're Christians. So do you think even Christians like do a spiritual bypass on this stuff? Because I would say I probably do. I think so. I've seen it happen. I mean, I've seen everybody do it. And I think that you know, with Christians, there's easier access to spiritual bypass. (laughs) Hopefully (laughs) that's the idea, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 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 And so, you know, I guess 
What I would say is um, I 100% believe that God is good and there's a blessing in everything. And we have to honor our human experience. So I'm not saying indulge in self-pity. What I am saying is if something happens and you're hurt, don't just jump to, well, God is good. You know, Jesus will handle this for me. You've got to handle it too. You may need to have a really good cry. You may need to do some release writing, which I teach in the book. Um, you may need to kind of feel that dark, ugly part, you know, that so many, so much of, so many of us think about it, you know, like that shadowy side, the, the anger or the sadness or the grief to get to the other side of it. You know, that's part of the human experience. So what, what, here's what, one thing I really learned, Carrie, that may be helpful. Sure. Um, so again, like I'm not saying, I, I am saying don't just jump to the spiritual bypass, but I'm not saying take God out of the process. What I've learned about emotional release work is that for so many people, when they're, um, they, when they don't repress emotion, which is what most people do when they actually express it. So, so say you have a really good cry. Mm-hmm. Most people, um, are, are running an inner commentary while they're crying. They're saying, oh, I can't believe this is happening. And oh, I have an ugly face when I cry. And oh, this is so awful. And oh, I want to figure this out. And oh, this hurts so bad. Like there's this judgmental commentary that's running. And we end up recycling our emotions rather than release them. Or we end up leaking them out. Like I look at so many people with road rage or they snap at their kids. You know, that's that's repressed anger. So we need healthy outlets to get that out. And how I've brought God into that for me is that as there's a part of me, you know, releasing that emotion, there's another part of me, the spiritual part of me that's with me saying, you know, it's okay. Let it out. Mm -hmm. I love you. You know, and I really feel God with me in those moments because compassion, if you break up the word, co means with and passion Actually, the original definition is suffering, passion yeah, of the Christ, yeah. right? Yep. So it just means with suffering. And we need to we need to be with our suffering, not just bypass it. This is this is really interesting. I mean, you're touching on some core Christian themes. And I've had mentors of mine who are pastors who have said one of the greatest causes of burnout or, or angst in the church among Christian leaders is ungrieved losses. And that whole idea, you know, when somebody leaves your church or a member quits your team or uh, somebody criticizes something you've done that you've thrown your heart into, particularly as a guy, you know, I can speak from that context. A lot of us, Christine, we would just say, ah, it's no big deal, right? Didn't need it anyway. But they build up and eventually you kind of implode. Another thing I've seen in in the church space is that people make it all spiritual or not spiritual at all. In other words, you know, if I have a, a anger issue and I'm flipping out at home or, you know, um, <laughs> blowing the cork at work or something like that, um, it's either, well, you know, I don't know why God isn't fixing it and we don't look inside or God has nothing to do with it. That's just an issue I've got to work with. But I think what you're saying is it, it's both, you know, God needs to be involved, but you also need to look inside as well. Is that, is that what Absolutely. you're saying? Absolutely. Okay. We need to remember that we're human. So like that example mm-hmm. you gave, you know, church leaders or men, you know, and men who re- just move like next thing, next thing, it builds and it builds and it builds and you're carrying that. So you need to remember we're all human, you know, and, yeah. and I like to think of, I, I teach an expectation hangover is something called the temper tantrum technique. Because okay, My wife I, says I still have temper tantrums sometimes. She goes, right, are you right. three? I know. You're just not, just don't direct them at her, but we're okay, all yeah, good to have temper tantrums. Because <laughs> if you watch a child, I learned so much from kids. And if you watch a child have a temper tantrum and you don't interrupt them, if you just let them ride the wave of their emotion, they get angry, they yell, they scream, then they start kind of crying really hard. Then they cry a little softer. Then they do that whimper thing where it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and then, and then they start to self-soothe and they start to rock a little bit and then they're okay. And they, they ride the wave. And the reason why we get so kind of suppressed is because it's like, imagine the force, like think about a dam, you know, imagine Mm -hmm. like the force it takes to stop the water from moving. Good illustration. 
that's what we're doing. And I'm not saying, you know, if, if you're on stage at church and, and someone, you know, you realize it's a small audience, you're, I'm not saying, you know, break down right there and start crying. No. But if you feel that feeling, like before you go out on stage and you, there's not a lot of people there, put your hand on your heart and say, okay, I'm, I'm disappointed right now. I feel a little sad. I make, I'm making a date with this feeling to process later, but I'm going to go out and give my best right now. And then later that night, let yourself feel it. Journal about it. Let it go. If you need to have a cry about it, let it go. Don't just tough it out and mm-hmm. repress it. Yeah, you know what? And that is that is very similar to the counsel I've gotten. And I've done that because I always thought, ah, doesn't really matter. And, you know, after I burned out a decade ago, uh, in 2006, I went through a summer of burnout and it was, it was horrible. And it was, it was, you know, in retrospect, you can kind of look back and go, oh, but God was teaching me something. And it was, no, those are actually real losses and those are real feelings and uh, process them before me. I mean, that's what the book of Psalms is. It's a whole bunch of laments like, God, why are you doing this? And where have you gone? And I thought you were on our side and it looks like you bailed. And what happened to you? And we just read it like it was some kind of flowery poem. But those were leaders who were really doing what you said. Now, let me ask you this, Christine. You mentioned have a temper tantrum. There are some leaders, and we probably all worked with one, that has temper tantrums on the team. That's probably not the best place <laughs> in the middle of a meeting or in a one-on-one. Where would you suggest if you're like, okay, like let's, let's make this granular. If, if oh, I'm yeah. feeling this, how do I have it in a healthy way that doesn't hurt the people around me? Well, I, it's coming back to making that date with your feeling, right? Okay. So if you're feeling triggered or whatever, this is, this is how we learn to not suppress. And this is how sort of the, the unconscious mind starts to trust us and our emotional body starts to trust us. So, so it's like, if I'm like feeling, you know, angry and it's not the place to do it, I'm like, okay, I acknowledge the anger feel the anger. And at 9 p.m. tonight, I'm going to do some release writing about it. And release writing is pen to paper, stream of consciousness, you just write. And it's going to be really messy and you're not going to be able to read it because you're writing as fast as your thoughts. And you rip it up or burn it when you're done. You don't keep it. You don't review it. It's like a release. Um, You know, I also teach the temper tantrum technique, which is like when you're alone in a space that you can do this, you you grab like a tennis racket or you get one of those... um, uh, noodles that you use yeah. in swim pools yeah. pool and cut noodles. it in half. Yeah. yeah. And you, you hit a pillow and you let it out that way. Um, or you put on some ACDC or whatever kind of <laughs> gets you going and you, you get it out so that you're not leaking it onto the people that you really care about it. And if you're on the other end, if you're the recipient of that, if someone is coming at you with a lot of anger, you can say, look, I can appreciate what you're saying, but not the energy it's riding on. So mm. I'm willing to listen, but can we shift the tone? That's a boundary issue. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even if someone's our superior or an authority figure, you know, we have to be responsible for, um, you know, how people treat us. Mm-hmm. No, that's really good advice. And, and literally, I mean, when you reread the Psalms through that lens, that's what, what did you call it? What kind of writing is it? Um, um, release writing, release writing. A lot of that is like honest, prayerful release writing. And that's a really good idea. Cause I think, I think leaders have often fallen into the trap of doing release writing. We just call it the email to the person we're angry at. And that's always <laughs> a mistake, right? That's like, Whoa, I hit send. Uh Oh, now what? Right. And you can't get that back. That's the thing. That's really, really helpful. And you know, I, it's funny. I just this month started journaling again after years of not doing it. So uh, it's it's been an interesting process for sure. So let me ask you this, Christine. Why do you think our expectations are so high? I mean, this is oh. this is more like something that we're going to be managing rather than oh, I've solved this right. This is this is more of a managing. Oh yeah. Thing. Oh yeah. I tell people as you. Pro- learn these tools and grow your time between expectation hangovers will get longer and the time okay. you spend suffering within one will get shorter. But as humans, you know, we, it's natural for us to form expectations, but just become more mindful of, of not forming them. So let me say a couple sure. things about that. So first of all, can we create more agreements in our life versus expectations? You know, I think that a lot of times we expect people to be mind readers. Um, you know, if you really love me, Carrie, you would remember that it's my birthday on September 9th, right? Like yep. uh, than, guilty, guilty. Exactly. I expect people to read my mind. In fact, that's my job description for my assistant. <laughs> you just need to read my mind. 
<laughs> which, point. May, which may leave you with a few expectation hangovers. So instead, yep. I could create a, an agreement and say, Carrie, as my friend, it's really important to me that you remember my birthday. So can we create an agreement? Can you just put a reminder in your calendar? And, and will you call me on that day? That's, that really is important to me. Then we have an agreement. So I don't have to have an expectation hangover or expect you to be a mind reader. And I don't have to test you in terms of, are you really my friend? And do you really love me? So it's articulated. I mean, that makes so much sense because I mean, from a leadership perspective, I wonder how many leaders out there, Christine, this is so good, are like, well, why isn't the team doing this? Whether that's your assistant or your uh, second in charge or, or, you know, members of your leadership team or key volunteers. Well, they're always disappointing me. Well, they probably don't even know what's expected of them. Exactly. And I want to share something that that Jill and I have experienced. And Jill's worked with, with me for almost seven years. She's in every aspect of my business. She's amazing. But she would do things sometimes. And I was like, what? Like what? And I'd get upset about it and I'd have an expectation hangover. And what I realized is, and this is what a lot of us do, we project the way we would deal with something onto someone else and then get angry when they don't act that way. So for example, oh my gosh, I never would have handled that situation that way and expect that person to do it the way we would do it. But people do what they do according to their model of the world. So how Jill and I got through this is, I'd see her respond to something or do an email and I'd be like, oh, and so I'd ask her, okay, walk me through your thinking process. Like get me into your model of the world. Tell me why this made sense to you so I can really understand and then I can lead you better. Because I think that's a lot of times leaders get a little lazy because a lot of leaders are very driven, very smart. And sometimes we don't necessarily take the time to really understand the people that we work with, we're all different. So it's taking the time and being like, okay, tell me why that, why you responded this way, understand their model of the world, and then walk them through what your expectations are, but help to be, to shift kind of your approach so that it fits with their model of the world as well. Because it really is about collaboration and communication and understanding other people rather than expecting them to be like you. I think that's so good. You know, uh, I think you've kind of read the mail of a lot of bosses right now and a lot of leaders who are responsible. It's unarticulated expectations. It's different work styles. It's different process. Super, super helpful. So those are some strategies around high expectations. So if I'm really honest, that's one of the things that has um, people have said about my leadership over the years. Man, your standards are so high. Your leadership... Like you're, you're, you're just, your expectations are so high and they are. But as I was getting ready to talk to you about this, I thought, okay, so here's my secret belief, which is probably a lie, which is that if I drop my expectations, everything's going to fall apart. In other words, it will never be as good. What would you say to that? Expectations aren't goals. So if you look up expectation, the definition is eager anticipation for something to happen. Um, there's sort of a disempowering aspect to expectation. Goals are a purpose of objective or objective. And the secret sauce to avoid an expectation hangover and to pursue goals without disappointment and without expectations is high intention and involvement and low attachment. Because the reason okay. we get disappointed, the reason we get disappointed is not because we didn't achieve the goals. The reason we get disappointed is because like our emotional okayness is dependent on them. So if I know I pursue something and I go after it with high intention, like I I give it my all and high involvement, but if it doesn't happen, I don't make my worthiness, my okayness, my well-being dependent on it. I don't take it personally. Then I'm not going to have that severe of an expectation hangover. I think we get so fixated in this culture with results. And and back to your early question of why we have so many expectations, I kind of went on a tangent and didn't answer it. I think why is because we don't live in a simple world. Mm-hmm. We live in a world where I can go on Facebook for five minutes and if if I choose to, I can torture myself thinking, oh my gosh, look at this person and look at that person. I'm not doing enough and no, 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 no. And it's just like, oh my gosh, that the pressure that we can allow to be put upon us by the exposure and, and the kind of the instant gratification world that we live in 
we have these grandiose expectations because there's so many people to compare ourselves to. But if we can just stay in our lane, celebrate other people, not make our worthiness dependent on our results and really, really know that in the eyes of God, we are no more than or less than. And in the eyes of God, like it doesn't matter what we do. It's who we are. So enjoy the process. That's the fun part. The process is when we really step into our gifts and we step into our joy and we're in that collaboration with God. And the result is kind of like the cherry on top. So I just encourage people, can you kind of take the romance out of the result and really enjoy the process and the God-given gifts that come out of you while you're in the process? I think you're pushing the buttons of a lot of leaders right now, including mine. So, you know, and in a good way, but like, um, and, and for sure the process has to be great, but so do you just give up on goals and do you give up on outcomes or how does that, how does that work? No, you hold them, you hold them, you hold a vision for them and you see them and you visualize them because I, people always say to me, well, not always, but very frequently say, I can't visualize. I'm not a good visualizer or a meditator. And I say, can you worry? Do you have anxiety? (laughs) And they say, yes, I worry. And I have a lot of anxiety. And then I say, then you can visualize because worry and anxiety is just making up bad stuff in your future. So That's good. Yeah. What it is. Visualized exactly what the horror is, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, like totally. if you can worry, you can visualize. So why not make it good? You know, staying in the present moment is such an important spiritual practice, but I don't know too many humans who live in the present moment hundred percent nope. of the time. I live in the future. Exactly. Yeah. So if we're going to go to the future, Carrie, let's make it good. Let's have the vision. <laughs> let's hold the vision. Let's go after the goals, but hang on to them loosely. Because one thing that I've learned is if I'm too tunnel vision to my goals and say, this is the way it needs to happen, sometimes I don't see a better route God may have for me. And right. so I, I pursue my goals, again, with that high intention and involvement, but low attachment so that if I'm shifted in another direction, that's okay. It's okay to be flexible. And it's, it's okay if it doesn't exactly happen in the form that I want. So I'm, I mean, I'm a coach. I'm all for helping people achieve their goals, but not fall apart and not make right. their identity dependent upon them. Right. Because then when you have a, a series of events like you did a number of years ago, that's just really, really challenging when everything kind of falls apart on you. I get that. I get that. So, Christine, um, interesting um, conversation so far. You've talked about some effective strategies for managing expectation hangovers. What are some ineffective strategies? Like, what do we naturally do that actually doesn't help? Yeah, well, we touched upon a little of them when I was talking about the kind of numbing and avoidance techniques, right. but that's that's the main ones. It's, so self-medication. It's self-medication, right. overeating, overeating, overspending, over-internetting, um, over-caretaking other people, mm. the the being strong, the spiritual bypass, the, oh, I love this one. This is another big one in the kind of positive psychology, just a positive affirmation, like, you know, I'm just going to pep talk my way out of this. Uh, and we, we bypass the, the feeling part and the learning part. Um, it's one thing I've learned in, you know, I, I have a, a master's degree in spiritual psychology from a place called the University of Santa Monica, which has been a big part of my education. And nice my place to go to path. school, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah. The weather's a little better than yours up there in Canada. <laughs> it is. <laughs> uh, but one of the things that we learned is that, you know, we're here to learn and grow and life is really school. And every expectation hangover has an amazing growth opportunity, not just like a blessing that that's definitely there, but a, a lesson and an ability to to go and and really, really heal something. Um, and that makes us better leaders, um, better Christians, better spouses, better parents and just and really nourish a better relationship with ourselves, because I think that that's the one relationship that most of us hold is a little dysfunctional. We tend mm-hmm. to be a little too hard on ourselves, yep. a little too impatient with ourselves. Our standards on ourselves are often um, a little too high and we don't really acknowledge and, and love ourselves. And one of my, one of my prayers that I'll offer to you and your listeners is, uh, God, help me see me the way you see me and help me prayer. see others the way you see them. That's a good prayer. That's a really good prayer. You make a connection between forgiveness, which is a central Christian teaching, and healing from an expectation hangover. What role does forgiveness play in that, Christine? 
Oh my gosh. So forgiveness is huge. Yeah. And what I really learned about forgiveness is I think what, what tripped me up and what trips a lot of people up about forgiveness is we think it's condoning what happened. Like if I forgive mm. the fact that I was abused then that makes it okay. No, right. forgiveness is about letting go of the judgment and the charge and the anger that we're holding. Cause there's things that happen to all of us. All of us go through challenging things. And if we hold on to the resentment and hold on to the anger, we're holding that bitterness inside. Hmm. And that that's not good for anybody. And so forgiveness is really about, about freedom. And even people that do terrible, terrible things, you know, they've done these terrible things mostly because terrible things have happened to them. And I'm not excusing it in any way, shape or form. This is not about condonement, but it's about, I'm not going to continue punishing myself by punishing this other person inside of me. Right. And forgiveness also doesn't mean you have to go face to face to the person and say, I forgive you. It can be an inside job. It can be something you do inside yourself and you kind of cut that cord and release that anger. Um, and that's something that I've really, you know, that my, my relationship with God has really helped me with is, you know, back to that prayer, God, help me see this person the way you do and help me let go of the darkness and the anger and the judgment inside. Now, I will say it's important to rinse the emotions first. It's hard to forgive somebody that's abused you or been awful to you yeah, or broke yeah. your heart when you haven't like processed the anger and the sadness. Like that's why in expectation hangover in the treatment plan, the emotional section is first and the spiritual section is last hmm. because I really want people to go through the emotions, go through the thoughts, shift the behavior. And then it's way easier to get to that deep place of forgiveness. That's good. Oh, well, this has been so helpful. And I think a lot of people are just going to be better for it. So here's a question I want to start occasionally asking my podcast guests. What's the one question you wish somebody had asked you that nobody's ever asked you? Uh, probably, you know, no one's ever asked me, um, you know, what's the one thing you thought you ne could never do that you've done? Okay. No one's ever asked me that. Well, what's the one thing you thought that you thought you could never do that you've done? Get off antidepressants. Really? Tell me about that. Yeah. Um, well, when I was put on them and, and again, like my parents were doing the best they could. They were really trying to help me. I was having a lot of trouble and it was, I don't have any judgment against it. Um, mm. but I was told I had a chemical imbalance and I was told if I was diabetic, I'd take insulin and I was told that I would need these the rest of my life. So talk about seeds being planted, you know, there's good seeds and, and not so good seeds. Yeah. And so that was really my belief system. And I, um, and this is not, uh, I don't have a position on antidepressants. If you, if as people out there are listening right. are taking them, this is not me saying there's anything wrong with you. No. This is just my personal experience. Um, but I do believe that it's possible for a lot of people who are medicated to get off of them. And the reason why so many people like myself, why I was on them is I didn't have the tools for navigating my feelings and emotions. I was a highly right. intuitive, connected, creative intelligent person. And, um, I didn't know how to process. And so I suppressed and repressed and that leads to depression. So after I got off of them on 30, so I was on them at tw for 20 years and it took a lot and it really took going to those dark, scary places and shifting my diet and doing a lot of processing and having a lot of people around me help me. Um, and I was also told by doctors, you won't be able to do this. So that wasn't super encouraging. No. So, um, it took me about a year and a half, two years. And I have to say it's been, um, it, like it was one of the most challenging, but also one of the most important things I ever did because it opened me up to, to my intuition. It opened me up to all my joy. Um, and it, it shifted, um, what I thought I could do in life. That's incredible. Well, thank you for sharing that. And congratulations. You know, I have a number of people in my life who have been on antidepressants for a season, some on a sustained level, and then some who took them for many years who have stopped. And that's an incredible story. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Hey, uh, Christine, there are going to be people who want to listen to your podcast, read the book. What's the easiest place for them to find you? Well, if you go to christinehassler.com, um, you can find all stuff about my retreats and I've one in Bali coming up um, there and I do a weekly vlog and blog that's always content rich. And then my podcast is called Over It and On With It. You can find it on iTunes or any of the um, 
any of the, if you don't have an iPhone, any of the podcast apps on the other kind of phones. And it's a live life coaching podcast where I coach people on the air. That's a lot of fun. That's great. Hey, Christine, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. So appreciate it. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. You're amazing. And thank you for the work that you're doing. Thanks, Christine. Okay, so who feels owned after that? Like, is that not totally true? Christine, thanks so much for that. It was a great conversation. And hey, I just want to say to pastors too, there's lots of people like Christine in your community. And I hope you're fostering dialogues with leaders and thinkers like her. If you want more information or anything that you heard that kind of tweaked your interest or attention, just go to the show notes. They're free. They're available at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 117. Hey, we are back next week with a fascinating conversation with Father James Mallon. First time I've actually sat down and interviewed a Roman Catholic for this podcast, but this guy, he is fire. You are going to love him. Some people call him like the Bill Hybels of the of the Roman Catholic world. He is turning things upside down in the Roman Catholic Church. He's actually really good friends with Rick Warren. Uh, He speaks at conferences uh, all over the world. He is good friends with the Pope and with Nikki Gumbel, and he sits down with me. And we have a conversation about a Roman Catholic leader every evangelical leader gets to know, and you know needs to know, I should say. And you know what? You're going to learn something from that. I really think you are. Hey, don't forget the High Impact Leader course, helping you get time, energy, and priorities working in your favor is available now at the best rate you're going to get. You can get that at thehighimpactleader.com or just head over to my blog, kerryneuhoff.com. Also, also super excited that uh, EA Help has got some free resources for you. So check that out at kerryneuhoff.com as well. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I know we had a lot today, but it's just really, really exciting. And to all of you Canadians who now have two podcasts, isn't that awesome? Yesterday was the release for episode two of the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. We're back next week. I hope you have a great, great few days and we'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.